Welcome to Unity of Tucson. So, Eala E, Eala E, Eala E, arise, arise to that light within. That's where I start today as we begin to explore in our fall renewal series, which will be this week and the five subsequent weeks, this book, Working with the Law by Raymond Hollowell. And so today we cover the first two. Well, the funny thing is I always say we cover the first two chapters and then I always say what I'm going to say anyway. <clears throat> Although it does come, it is rooted in uh, the reading from the book. Now here's the thing that I want to acknowledge first and foremost is that Going to this reading is essentially going back to basics. We're going to take ourselves back because I think sometimes we can feel like we're getting so far ahead that we forget the basics of the philosophy. And so we're going to go back to basics a little bit here. And I, and I, and I think it's a great practice to always return back to what is the center? What is the center of my being? So I'm going to start off by, well, actually, I'm going to ask you, and this is not a rhetorical question. <laughs> Does anyone want to tell me, is there anyone out there who would like to just tell me what it is we teach here at Unity? Love. Love, love only, forgive everything, remember who you are. What else do we teach? What, what are the fundamental principles of the philosophy? Is, you te- you, so Sherry is saying that we teach I am God. The law of cause and effect. Awakening. Yes. Change my mind, change my experience. Anyone else have any thoughts around what it is we teach here? One power, one presence. Unity. I knew we'd get there eventually. If you've been in the metaphysics class or any of the classes that we teach, we often reference the five basic principles of unity. There are only five basic principles. Did you know that? Five principles. And as I joked a few weeks ago when I was actually here, um, I said, I speak to these things every single week, and I'm looking at 52 new ways to say it every single week, every year, right? Here are the five principles. God is... God is. God is the only thing that exists. Now, if you have a challenge, some people come to new thought traditions because they have a challenge with the word God. So replace it with whatever you need to replace it with. Universal energy, infinite spirit, whatever works for you. I like to use the word God because I know what I mean when I say God. I'm not talking about that man with the beard up in the sky that so many of us were brought up with. I'm talking about the infinite creative energy of the universe that is pure love. That's all it is. And That's the only thing that exists. It is infinite. So that's the first principle. The second principle we teach is I am. That's who and what we are. Now, here's how I have acknowledged this in my own mind from a logical perspective. If God is infinite, there can be nothing separate from the infinite. Otherwise, God would be finite. So I cannot be separate from God, which is why Sherry yelled out, I am God. People have a hard time hearing that. And I'm going to say, while I acknowledge and understand you saying that to me here, it might not be the most effective 
conversation starter at Thanksgiving. <laughs> know your audience. So knowing that God is all there is, and that's who and what we are, each and every one of us is this infinite power and presence of creative energy, the energy of pure love. It is our thoughts and our beliefs. It is the consciousness that creates the circumstances of our lives. So the only thing we're ever looking to address in this philosophy is consciousness, our thoughts, our beliefs, and our feelings, and the way they all work together. And we can address them actively because that's the power we have as God because God is all there is. God is wanting to be expressed by means of each and every one of us, and God is wanting us to express our most magnificent lives. So number three is thought and belief, feeling, our consciousness, create the circumstances of our lives. Number four, we're getting into the practical part of it. And this is a really important thing that I want everyone to hear. What we teach here is that we direct those circumstances consciously through prayer and meditation. Why do you think, well, it's a rhetorical question, I guess. This one is a rhetorical question. <laughs> Why do you think we make that one of our primary principles? Just think about it for a moment. Prayer and meditation are primary in the teaching. The fifth principle is this. We actively choose to use it. We actively choose to use these tools to create the circumstances of our lives. We are called upon, each and every one of us, to be actively working with the law. See how I see a good segue there, eh? <clears throat> so those are the five principles. God is, I am, thoughts and beliefs create our experiences. We, act, we, we, we set the tone, we create those circumstances through thought and prayer and feeling, and we choose to actively use it in this philosophy. So that is actually the extent of the paradigm. That's all we teach until you get to a book that says working with the law, 11 truth principles <laughs> for successful living. But here's the thing. It's one principle. It's one principle, the principle of, crea the principle of creation. That's all it is. And these are different tools and techniques for activating and understanding that principle of creation. So we love to confuse ourselves in our own paradigm. And we look to all those other things and look, oh, here's the book, here's that book, and then here's this practice over here, and then here's this practice, and here's this other thing, and here's what this guru said, and, here, and we start to mush it all together, right? Many in, many in New Thought. Now, the reason I've stopped on number four is because I find that many in the New Thought movement tend to look to everything to change their life other than what we teach, prayer. They're looking to shift the circumstances and manipulate the circumstances out there and to do these things out here and to, oh, wait, here's, I know, I've, I've, been, taught this, I've been taught this technique, and, but we teach prayer. That's what we teach. And so for me, people are surprised when I say my go-to is prayer because prayer activates consciousness to create. Now, the reason that many of us do that um, can be, I think, a clue, a little clue 
into our conception of our own faith. Now, that conception, I think, is doubt. We profess, this stuff works, but there's that little voice in the back of our head, the head that's saying, "Mm, but does it really? I'm not really sure. That's the voice to listen to. Because that's the active belief. And if our beliefs are creating our experience, that's the belief to address. Because the more we crowd out the belief of doubt with the belief of faith, the more we actively create our lives in the way that we would like to create our lives. This is one of the magnificent quotes from this book by Raymond Hollywell. The law is that the mind is no greater than its conceptions. So what this says is, if your conception is rooted in doubt, you've just limited yourself. That's the limit. You can go no further than your own doubt in the creation of your life. That's the law. The law of cause and effect, or the law of mind action. The law itself of creation. The great masters have invited us all to this understanding. Every great mystic master has invited us to this understanding. And they were not here inviting us to worship them. No, they were inviting us to come into a space and a place of understanding alongside them because fundamentally, if I know who I am and you know who you are, that is the great equalizer. So the things that you, the things that you do are a magnificent inspiration to the whole world. Do you believe that? Well, that was very rousing, wasn't it? I'll tell you somebody who absolutely believed that, Jesus. Jesus believed that. He said, the things that I do, you will do, and even greater than I. Are we doing it? Ah, it was a mixed bag there in that response. But we are all called upon to root ourselves in the understanding that the infinite and I are one. Jesus said it when he said the Father and I are one. That's what he was talking about. And he was not excluding himself. No true mystic has ever excluded themselves. Buddha said, I am not something to be worshipped. I am someone who is awakened. Paraphrasing. But isn't our job to be awakened? Isn't that what we are looking for? Aren't we coming here and, oh, we want to be inspired on a Sunday. But what do you leave with? Do you leave with an awakened sense of self? Have you arisen like the sun to an open sense of the truth of your being? And can you maintain it? That's the part. Because I think it can be real easy in these walls sometimes because you have a lot of people around and go, oh, you are magnificent and you are magnificent. You are, you are so magnificent. And then you walk out the door and he's like, I am magnificent. No, not really. <laughs> Our work then, this is the work. Our work is to expand our conceptions. If the law is that the mind is no greater than its conceptions, then we must expand our conceptions. This morning I was in Starbucks for the one cup of coffee I've had so far today. At five o'clock in the morning, by the way, which is when I go to Starbucks on Sunday and then come here. And and, uh, the barista there and I had a very brief conversation. Uh, It's the Starbucks I always go to, so they all know me. 
that tells you how frequently I go to Starbucks because they really know me and they all know I'm a minister. And the barista who was there, they said to me this morning, oh, you know what? I, 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 I don't go to church. I was forced to go to church as a kid and, and it, I, I just have a real bad taste in my mouth around it. And I didn't really get into the conversation very deeply, but I started thinking about the conception of faith that is absent. And it's not mine to say, oh, you should have faith. She's on her own journey. She's on her own journey. But it was just an illuminating moment to say, wow, I really do have faith in the unseen. And that's something that took me a while to develop. And so if you're not there yet, that's okay too. Keep working it. Keep applying the practical tools that we offer. Because as you apply those practical tools to root yourself in the truth of your being, life just gets easier. It just gets easier. So I have faith in a law, a law that says yes all the time, no matter what. That's what I have come to understand. I keep looking at the book as though it's going to tell me something else. Um, I have faith in a law, and I am rooted in that faith very deeply now. I've been doing this, well, I first came into New Thought almost 20 years ago. I became a minister 11 and a half years ago. And there are some things that come up. Now, I've mentioned the law of cause and effect. I've mentioned the law of mind action. I've mentioned the law of creation. It's all the same law. It's all the same law. In fact, when you get to the headers in the book and it says the law of thinking, the law, the law of supply, the law of attraction, the law of receiving, it's all the same law. And if you read the preface, he says, if we were to replace the, word, the words the law with the word God, that that is something to understand. God is the law, and that's who we are. So we are the law. Now, there's another thing that happens in these circles, and that is people come into New Thought and they say, oh, you're all very intellectual, but there's no heart. It's very cold and impersonal. And here's how I will say we can move past that. You provide the heart. You provide the heart to a law that is, the law itself is impersonal. But as we provide the heart and we allow ourselves to be rooted in that love, then God is as personal as you decide for God to be. Yeah. All failures in life are due to taking sides with the finite all around us. All success in life is due to taking sides with the law within us. This goes to what I was mentioning before. We look out there and we try to manipulate all the finite circumstances out there, right? You are doomed to failure if you do that. That's what he's saying here. All failures in life are due to taking sides with the finite all around us. Oh, this is the way it's going to be because this little itty-bitty portion of the infinite is the thing that I'm looking to. Instead of saying, I am the breadth of the infinite power of pure love. All success in life is due to taking sides with the law within us, the law of love, the law of creation, the only law, which we should just say, it's the law. Stop putting all those other adjectives around it. It's just the law. So what we need to do is we need to adjust this a little bit. Because here's the thing about it. There's no such thing as failure. 
all failures are perceptions. When something in the world seems to have failed, it's because we have decided that it is a failure. But God, the law, can never fail. It is always constructively moving forward and growing and evolving upon itself. That's the truth. And as we allow ourselves to acknowledge and live that truth, then all things that we look at as failures are only perceptions of failure. So now I want to talk a little bit about one of the experiences. Yeah, the glasses come off, you know. I want to talk a little bit about one of the experiences I had on the island. Every year as part of this uh, event that I go to, the Sacred Journey. This year it was the Sacred Journey of the Mystic, and they have a different theme every year. So this year was the Sacred Journey of the Mystic. And we, one of the events that they always do, they change up all the events, but one of the events that we always do is we always go to the Hindu monastery and we are able to uh, we are able to have an audience with one of the swamis there. Now, first of all, did you know that there's a magnificent Hindu temple and a monastery on the island of Kauai? If you ever go to Kauai, it is a must. It is extraordinary. So uh, we are fortunate enough, our group, to always be able to meet with one of the swamis. And this year, the swami said something really interesting. He said, I know who you are. I know who you are. You, you, you people who are part of this New Thought movement, I know who you are, because you're about as close to Hinduism as you will ever get in the Western world. <laughs> he said, you know the truth of your being. You know the universe of the universe. That's all we're ever working on or thinking about or teaching in Hinduism. And so he said, so I will ask you a question that I wouldn't ask any other group. What do you think about evil? He asked. Well, what do we come up with? Evil is a perception. That's it. Evil is a perception. And he said there was, a, there was one of his uh, gurus who, as a monastic practice, would say only one sentence every year. Otherwise, he was completely in silence. And one sentence he said one year, he said it in Tamil, but the and I'm not going to try to say it <laughs> in Tamil, but the, the translation essentially works out to this. There is not one thing wrong in this world. And then he went back into silence and didn't say anything for another year. So what we discovered collectively with respect to evil, is that evil is a perception. There is not one thing wrong in this world. There can only be seemingly evil actions in the world of form, but if you take it back and take it back and take it back to the fundamental premise that God is all there is, then there can be no evil. Evil is a perception. Seeming evil is a perception in the way that some people choose to work the law. And you can use the law constructively and destructively. And I think it's when we are utilizing the law in a destructive way, we call that evil. Oh, it's such a downer now, isn't it? We just call it evil. Hmm? It's a conception. Yes, thank you. It's a perception. It's a conception. But it's, here's the thing. It's just an idea. There is no evil. 
There is no evil. There is no evil. Can I say it again? There is no evil. There is only the way we utilize the law. And if you are using it in a way that is destructive, there's only one element that is being destroyed. You. That's it. Because you have no power over anyone else unless they give you that power. So also, it is a call to each and every one of us to be aware of who we are giving our power to. Everything is perception, all of it, 100% of it, all of it. Our mental state dictates our experience. And we spend a lot of time letting our experience dictate our mental state. Stop watching the news. Stop listening to gossip. Stop complaining about all the things out there. Because that is allowing the experience to dictate our mental state. But we are the ones who are in charge. Our mental state dictates our experience. So, yeah, I hear you. So if you want more love, <laughs> these, these things that are listening all the time, if you want more love, be more loving. If you want more peace, allow yourself to express more peace that is the inherent internal sense of being that you are. If you want more of anything, any joy, be more joyful. That's the way this stuff works. That is actually how you work the law. We have one job and one job only, and that is to deepen into the awareness of our being. That is why, oh, I'm not ready to go there yet. That, <laughs> that is why, that is why remember who you are is perhaps the most important part of our mission statement. Because when you remember who you are, you actually eliminate the construct of love only because you can only be love if you remember who you are. And there is no need for forgiveness if you remember who you are. If you understand that principle, then you do not require forgiveness towards anyone or for anyone because you can never, you can never be in a situation or an expression that would require forgiveness. Rooting yourself in the truth of your being. That's what it's all about. Deepening into awareness. Attention should be given to the predominant mental state for it will regulate the action and direction of all one's forces, faculties, and powers. And that's what this entire fall renewal series is about. Deepening our awareness of our own mental state. In that deepened awareness, we become masters of the law rather than becoming subjects to it. I believe, I believe, you get to decide what you believe, but I believe that an awareness of our inherent divinity is key in the practice. Being able to step forth confidently and in the right company and saying, I am God and so are you because there can be nothing other than God. Knowing ourselves as divine is key in the practice. Now, a lot of people will say, well, yeah, is that really what unity stands for? Yes. We're called unity, not separation. <laughs> Charles Fillmore, in an unpublished transcript of a talk he gave, said this, 
we speak to God in the third person. And then, in the second person, he's talking about how we evolve. We speak to God in the second person, and then in the second person. In our present development, we speak to be God in the second... That's not right. We speak to God in the second person. I have an extra B in there. That's wrong. We speak to God in the second person. God is the spirit within you, as though there's something within you and there's like the rest of you is something else. God is the spirit within you. But the time is coming. This is the important part. But the time is coming, he said, when we shall speak of God in the first person. For we shall displace all separation. We are here to fulfill this law of divine unity. In that, he is saying, we must be able to step forth and say, I am God. And not have it as a sense of anything other than, I know who I am and I know who you are. Because what we're saying, we're not saying, I am God and I will lord over you. No, we're saying, I know the truth of my being and it must be true for you as you. There can be no separation. We are here to fulfill this law of divine unity, to unify ourselves with this spirit of love within each and every one of us. This is where we have always been headed, and we are continuing to evolve in that direction. And I believe that now as we see the world of quantum physics and quantum theory supporting what it is we teach, that everything is potential. Everything is consciousness. And as we consider through observation that potential, we collapse it into expression. That's just another way of saying your thoughts create your experience. You are not one in God. You are not one with God, as Ernest Holmes says. You are one of God. That's the truth of your being. So today, eh, Allah, eh, a call to the sun to arise and awaken and for each and every one of us to arise and awaken to that inherent light within. Peace and blessings. You are magnificent. The homework this week. Oh, you had a couple weeks without homework. (laughs) If you are new to this community, I give homework every week. Not everyone who speaks up here gives homework every week, but I I choose to give homework. Part of it is, do read the next two chapters, if you're following along. Read the next two chapters uh, in Working with the Law. It's the Law of Supply and the Law of Attraction. Uh, If you would like to pick up the book, we still have some copies in the Desert Light bookstore. Um, But the practice that I would like you to engage in is this. Take time in meditation this week to deepen into the understanding of what it is I've talked about. Understanding the manner of your connection as wholeness. Meditate on that. I am wholeness. I am light. I am that. I am. We are unity, not separation. So meditate on that this week. Hi, this is Reverend Jonathan Zenz. And I want to thank you for listening to the podcast of my Sunday message. Your financial support will ensure that we can continue to offer this as an option for inspiration. You can make your tax-deductible contribution in any amount on our website, unitytucson.com. Once again, thank you for listening. You are magnificent. Namaste.